you're like, oh man, I have this 10K that I need to do. What's my pace? Every time you double the distance or double the time, add five split seconds to your goal pace. Every time you have the distance or have the time, subtract five seconds. So you can kind of extrapolate out. You go two to four, four to eight, and then you add just a little bit on top. And suddenly you've got a 10K, maybe it's like 11, 12 split seconds as a That's interesting. I never heard that before. Over a 2K. It kind of breaks down when you get below 500 meters, I've found, just because certain athletes are faster, or slow twitch. You're just getting into actual power versus endurance at that Mm. point. What is going on, Misfits? Welcome back to another edition of the Misfit Podcast. Today we have got, again, two-thirds of the goon squad. Drew is still eating cheese fucking his way around Italy and Switzerland (laughs) doing whatever the fuck he wants, whatever. Uh, But we have substituted him with someone equally as good-looking, one of our very own coaches at Misfit Gym Portland, Coach Chris. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Um, Before we get into the topic today, we're going to, we're going to, Chris is going to act as kind of a equal parts interviewee, equal parts. Just he's another one of the coaches uh, at Misfit Gym Portland and uh, actually onboarding with Misfit Athletics to be a remote coach. So um, and just has a ton of background coaching in general from from CrossFit to competitive rowing. So um, before we get into it, Chris joined Misfit Gym Portland in, you said, January 2019 ish. Um, after moving here from Seattle with his now wife, Julie, um, and basically jumped right in. We did kind of the onboarding thing. Chris has had some experience coaching CrossFit. And like I said before, some rowing experience as well. Um, and what we're going to get into a little bit later is he's largely or rather almost exclusively responsible for the building of the engine program, uh, which is a, a supplemental class that Misfit Gym Portland and Wyndham, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, we have offers, one as well. Didn't offers. build Wyndham. Didn't, that, yeah, didn't did, build Wyndham. Did not build Wyndham, but that's okay. Inspired, but you're the impetus for Wyndham, it being Wyndham a class. Wyndham was inspired in by really? Portland. Yeah, yeah no. See, I had good things and, you know, taking some of the principles of things I've heard you say in class. And I had a coach who had the opportunity to to jump on and want kind of ownership of their own style of class. And for a long time, it was like a ladies power hour, kind of a, just a ladies come on in. And then the guys were like, hey, we like to do fitness on Sundays, too. <laughs> so that it quickly kind of transformed from that class to an engine based class. And, then, you know, try to tell the coach that asked about it, like, hey, what different offerings could we give the members of our gym that's outside of the normal like 21, 15, nine, like couplets and triplets? How can we help our members the most? And I you know, look to your classes. You know, I've only taken a few of them, but to your class and how much that's helped the membership in Portland, how that could help them there. And I suggested, you know, Let's take some of the principles that I've heard you speak about and maybe interject them over in Wyndham and people you know, really love that class. And and for folks listening, kind of the engine class is essentially, uh, actually, I'll let you you go into it. So again, Chris joined up, uh, joined the gym as a coach, built that engine program, also coaches our, our regular CrossFit classes and uh, just recently graduated with an athletic what's the correct terminology just yeah, a degree in athletic science, training athletic training yep so uh brings kind of that an additional layer of of uh of knowledge to the gym which i think has only helped both coaches and members so um i'll stop running my suck you want to give us a little bit of a, a further maybe farther back than 2019 with your yeah, coaching sure. experience um so i guess i started crossfit like i get to say it 10 years ago now a whole decade nice. which is kind of sick um 
but pretty much decided as soon as I started, I was like, oh, I want to coach this. Mm. Um, Because at the time, I was coaching high school rowing, and we did a winter training. It was like this, it was a newer program. We were like, wow, how can we be more competitive? There was a local CrossFit gym, and I didn't even put it together. One of the other coaches put it together, but it was an inside space. They got to do some cross training during the winter rather than just like disappear and become totally unfit. when They came back for the spring. <laughs> um, and I saw the workouts they were doing, which were basically, it was just like CrossFit light for high school kids. Yep. Um, and I was like, that looks sick. I want to do that. And then I did. And then it was, and then I <laughs> Can, the, started participating real quick. Sorry. The rowing that you were coaching, this is like actual rowing, correct? Yeah, on yeah, on yeah, water. Yeah. Actual so. rowing on water in yep. boats. Okay. Yeah. Which is, I guess I would call that certainly my like athletic background from back in the day. Right. Um, I was a high school athlete. I rode in college for, we'll generously say a week. Um, <laughs> it's generous. <Yeah. laughs> we'll round up to a week. Seven whole days. Um, 4.30 a.m. wake-ups were not for me. Um, yeah. Anytime I set an alarm that starts with the fours, you know you're in. You're real upset you know, about it. You know, you're, you're, I better you know, be flying somewhere. <laughs> I'm not liking it. <laughs> not, a, not a fan myself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I got back into coaching rowing, was coaching high school kids. Um, and then that kind of led me to CrossFit. And then I was coaching high school rowing and coaching CrossFit as kind of the work that I was doing for quite a while. Yep. Um, I don't know, maybe like four years of doing both, a little bit longer of doing rowing. And uh, yeah, then we moved to Maine. That's pretty unique, though, because like in our neck of the woods, I don't know of any high schools that have a, even a rowing program. Like I didn't know rowing was a sport, for being honest, until I got to college. And like, you know, where I went to college, it was one of the bigger sports there, like crew ended up being something that like hey if you played high school sports and you can't or don't want to play them in the college level but you like activity and you look somewhat tall come do rowing with us come join us like literally people be walking around recruiting anybody who looked remotely like fit or healthy in the weight room bringing people in so in the high school level is kind of the same bag maybe kids who didn't like maybe the traditional team sport kind of thing or is it is it so high school rowing is kind of cool in that way if it does exist because you get like nobody not nobody but like Almost nobody starts rowing when they're like six. Like it's just not a popular sport. Like it doesn't really exist for super young kids in the same way that other sports do. So let's say you get to high school, you're like the thirds team for field hockey or you never make it past freshman football or whatever. And you're like, I would still like to be active, but I want to do something fresh. Um, Rowing can be that for a lot of people. So like my experience personally, I was sort of, I'd get like third place a lot in elementary school for athletics. <laughs> Solid third. Just like <laughs> really never better than third. <laughs> like I'll set you up well for CrossFit. If you take yeah, third, yeah, right? third yeah, every day, that's not that's too pretty bad. Good. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, like, I'll take 94 points in every workout. That's yeah, fine. I wouldn't say I was a bad athlete, points. but I wasn't like the best athlete. But then I started rowing in high school and it turned out to be like, yeah, I was pretty good at it. And I think a lot of people have that experience where maybe they were okay at other athletics or sports, but for whatever reason, rowing is just like the right combination of strength and endurance that works for them. I really, I liken rowing to like, to especially kind of the shittier, I guess, I don't, I don't know. I don't have enough experience like rowing, like really, really rowing other than to know that like 
a 2k is really really shitty a 5k is like pretty shitty um and, and i'm like and i'm like is there a distance I, I that is not I just think, well, like, but even even if it's even if it's like crew is that the correct terminology yeah. the crew on like if even if it's with like seven other other guys or it's just you're you're on your lonesome on a concept too it's just like this is a fucking hard sport like it's really like you you have to be really willing to be uncomfortable for a fairly fixed amount of time if you want to yeah, be curious, successful based on that exact statement i was thinking the same thing what drew you into to rowing is a point like what made the like, grab onto you and be like all right this yeah. is what i want to do kind of like for my sport and then eventually how you coach yeah. there i mean i guess for one like i wasn't bad at it which was pretty cool like people are gravitate so it's going to gravitate towards the things that they're pretty good at sure um for me i really liked like there's this really fine line of being in control and being out of control and to i think really excel in rowing as a sport you need to know exactly exactly where that line is and Mm -hmm. you ride that line for the duration of a race or an interval or a piece and it feels so hard if you're doing it right when you do it but then you're done and it's like you just you don't feel as i don't know satisfied after anything else like it's the worst and best thing you've ever done so the um, that that's a pretty interesting point because that's something we talk to like all spectrum of athletes about it's like you know we're talking when you just said like there's a fine uh, there's a fine line between leaning forward and bending over when it comes to a crossfit workout right it's like you come out too hot like you're about to have however long it's about to be is about to be a long you're going to be uncomfortable for a really long time but we try to communicate to athletes like you you have to know, for example, those paces, whether it's on a on a on a rower, on a bike, on a on a on a skier, running, whatever it is, and and even farther into like the more CrossFit style movements. Um, I, I just think it's it's important for athletes to like to hear that from someone who's like coached rowing for a long time, been in that community where it's like, hey, like other sport other sports are really, really good about finding that line and knowing exactly how to compete with the capacity that you have. In, and I was going to add to that. It's rolling. almost, almost like a nice segue into like the main topic for the, the podcast here and like, kind of like what your class is about. But, you know, I think that's one unique element you bring to the community here as a coach. And as a member here is that you try to get people to understand that, like you have to know what you're up against to know how to do what you're up against. If you don't know what it is, how will you know how to execute on that? And I think that's a big culture change from like the original days of CrossFit, which was just like beat your head in as fast as you can against the wall, like run full speed at that wall and see what happens. And hopefully you can like survive it and come back again to tomorrow, <laughs> as opposed to like, hey, if you understand what you're about to do, you'll have be more aware of the things that are indicators for, are you doing it right or are you doing it wrong? And how can you learn from that? Because one of the things we always talk about with training being is a, an opportunity to learn or a lesson and how that applies to your fitness. And I think the biggest change that I've seen at Misfit Gym Portland as a result of what you've kind of put into practice and help people with is you see people understand workouts significantly better and they know not just like, is this slow? Is this medium or is this hard? It's like, I know if this workout's like seven minutes, this is exactly the pace I should be doing on this assault bike. If this workout is you know, 12 minutes, that's exactly how fast I should run my 800s, which I think is a big part of what you were just describing there when you're figuring out like what that line is. So is there a moment in time, like in your history where like you maybe flirted with the idea of like, 
all right, maybe I was going too slow or going too hard. And I, I self-educated myself to the point where now I am able to pass that information forward to help people not make the same mistakes that maybe you made. I think one of my biggest problems in CrossFit as a sport is I take that still rowing mindset where I'm just like a little careful and I do Mm. it almost all the time. So if there's a really, if there's like a three, four, five minute workout that I don't know, I can just like crush it. I'm probably going to hold back a little bit and like to the detriment of my score. Like if I hold back a little bit, I'm going to be too comfortable too late in that workout. And if I had just like gone for it really like really early in the old style, Mm. then I probably would have had a better time. I would have been like less in control and less happy in the moment. Um, but for CrossFit, the sport, like for me, that's kind of where I would, I've been working on getting over. Yeah. And I think that it's like, we, again, we we talk to athletes about the value of being able to stare at a monitor with objective metrics right in front of you. And it's like, okay, the, I, I know that I can row at a 145 pace for let's say seven minutes, like a 2k, a 2k row. What is the equivalent of a 145 pace of thrusters and burpees for seven minutes. And that's obviously way harder to, to, to distinguish, especially for an inexperienced athlete. So what, what do you think that, do you think that people gain, what do you think is the biggest gain for people when they start to get comfortable on something like a rower or, or like a machine or whatever? And you can extrapolate that to the engine class as well. Can I just tie this? I can tie it right into the engine class. Tie it up. It's a bow. It's a bow on the (laughs) rope to hang (laughs) sure as you need. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'll just start. I'll explain why I think the engine class has been really valuable. Can you give like a brief overview of the class and then do that too? Um, So the engine class at Misfits in Portland, um, I, when people ask like, Oh, what's engine class about sort of surface level, it's about machines, spending more time on machines and getting just more comfortable doing that stuff, either just in general or kind of more for longer distances. Um, kind of the next level version of that, which I also like to tell people is it's basically a pacing class. We've already been talking about it a little bit. Um, but the objective feedback from the machines, like you just, you don't get that in the same way for running around on the floor, doing whatever the heck CrossFit workout. Um, and then the more you do it, the more you can tie it into like, Oh, how do I feel at this point in this workout at this intensity? And like, I'm still like, I'm always coming back to like physically how I feel relative to rowing, even though it's been decades um, <laughs> okay you can say it out loud we've all been past our sport for a few years since i rode for a week competitively yeah. <laughs> like it still all comes back to that so like it's a pacing class for yeah. affiliate athletes and whatever else it might be on the surface with movements or like learning how to ski or whatever mostly it's figuring out how your body feels at different intensities for different durations and then being able to transfer that experience into knowledge and confidence for other situations with other things. Yeah. So I think that you and I actually, you and I talked about this the other day when it comes to how we think about helping athletes get better at it. And I think you and I resonated on the con- the concept of our job as coaches isn't just to tell an athlete what to do and how to do it. It's, Hey, here's some information and I want you to earn the confidence through your own experience so that you are educated enough so that you don't have to be like, hey coach, hey coach, hey coach, what push should I row at? Hey coach, hey coach, how should I break up my thrusters? It's like, 
a big part of what you teach athletes is that here are metrics you can look at in a rowing machine or in a salt bike's really easy because you have you know, your RPMs, you have your watts, you have the time you're doing it for, you have how many rounds you're doing it for, splits. But then it's like, how does that information then get translated to other movements? And I think it's a important coaching I don't know if it's like a tidbit of information, but like we shouldn't always just be giving athletes the answers to the test. We, we should like, you know, sort of show your work, you know, back in high, like middle school. And they're like, you know, you learn, you know, complicated, you know, like multiplication. They're like, all right, don't just like put the, <laughs> God <laughs> fucking damn hey, I was never strong in math. Uh, man, I, was I was waiting. I was wondering. I was really be, hoping. Hey, we all didn't do yeah. calculus. So that, was, that was exactly how yeah. I wanted that one. Complicated addition. Complicated addition and subtraction. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea here is like, <laughs> but you have to make an athlete show their work. And then that, the idea behind that is that's how you inspire confidence. If we always just tell athletes how to do everything, we are effectively doing our job at a reduced level. In my opinion, I think a really good coach doesn't just give the answers to the test. It helps the athlete figure out how to find the answers for themselves. Do you think multiplication? <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think that a you in your experience being on like the rowers doing CrossFit and now having the experience of CrossFitters doing rowing with like the engine class, which do you think that one community like benefits more than the other? Do you think it was more beneficial for like your high school rowers to, to have a workout where they don't know what they're doing and they run their head into a wall and then learn like that? Or do you think that the CrossFit community who is used to running their head into the wall and now has to learn how to pace benefits more from that? Wow. You have 30 seconds. Go. Yeah, I thought about, I thought, <laughs> about, like, I thought about that question for like, that's a really seconds. good question. Um, I don't have a really immediate, awesome one way or the other answer. I think both I, community, both communities benefit so much sure. in different ways. Um, if all you do is row and especially as a high school athlete, um, it's super repetitive. It's depending on the type of rowing you're doing. There's also a one side or the other kind of bias. Yeah. Um, and then CrossFitters, like, like armchair coach here, but like even at the highest level, like I don't understand how they don't know how to pace sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and or then, row correctly. To well, begin okay, with. that was the, that was. Whoa, the, the whoa. you're allowed. Yeah. You're allowed to say that if you um, weren't going to. I was. But like, yeah. <laughs> but like, holy crap, the rowing could be so much better. Yeah. And I know it's just one piece out of a thousand pieces. Yeah. But it sure does come up a lot. <laughs> Maybe. It's, a, it's a great way to make adaptation too. Yeah, like how much not, adaptation is lost because you are inefficient on yeah. something like that. I don't well, mean I, like I've I've th- thinking back to like a bunch of the classes that I've coached, and every time I think I'm doing something like clever, like telling athletes to flip the monitor down. It's like okay, like we're doing rowing repeats. Good, flip your monitor down. Let's see how well you get a feel for the pace that you're at. And they're just like, oh yeah, we've done this plenty of times before. Like okay, everybody, let's pull up the force curve graph. Like the one screen that nobody knows what does. Most people don't know what I does on the monitor all times. and they're just like, Oh yeah, yeah. I've worked on, we've worked on this with like Chris at engine class. So the, the rowing efficiency thing is like, I, it always blows my mind when we have either athletes come into town who, who aren't particularly proficient at rowing. And I would just say it's cause they don't like, they didn't, we we're fortunate to have somebody with experience doing that and like actually be able to teach people like correct progressions and like how to improve. But yeah, even at the highest level, like some of the rowing is just like, God, thank God you're fit. Cause it saves you in a lot. It saves you in a lot of regards sure, because yeah. like if you are literally racing people who are equally as fit as you, 
but understood pacing, the person who paced would, would do better. I mean, yeah. one of the things that I always thought was interesting when you talk about the, you know, the community of, you know, high level CrossFitters who figured out really early on that they were terrible at like running and rowing and they got kind of like the Hinshaws of the world to help them. They were talking about like how many different gears an athlete needs to have because their sport requires you to go sub 15 seconds, sub 30 seconds, minute, two minutes, whatever. And you can decide how many gears that is. And I think one of the things that I heard was like 13 or 15 gears, which is a lot to, to know about when it comes to 15 different gears. And then I don't know, 75 different movements and they all get put out together in whatever, 10 trillion different combinations. Like how to know what that gear is, is a big part, I think of what people have to understand when they learn how to pace things. So I was just curious if you had you know, in your engine experience, if you've sort of thought of it in that regard, like here's the different gears that you need, or do you just more or less relate to a movement and say like, yeah. regardless of the movement, like this is that you need to be in. Um, so just in the context of giving the class to the gym and then what I kind of hope people get out of the gym, I like, I'll nominally like follow the competitive calendar um, and do my own sort of phases along with the programming phases. Yeah. Um, but for the mo- I'll cycle through basically like Thursdays are the theme for the Thursdays engine class is always long duration, low intensity, only machines, no matter what. Um, so I just cycle through different versions of that. I remember when I first started the class, one of the, one of my personal favorite longer quote unquote duration rowing workouts is I do it as a 10 K, but I do it as 40 minutes just to keep a class kind of together and on track but 40 minutes, you have a base pace that you hold and you think of just guess maybe what's a little slower, a few split seconds slower than what I might hold for 40 seconds. But then every four minutes, starting four minutes in, you take 10 hard strokes, not like like sort of faster strokes, not all out sprints. Like a strokes. reach, not a send. Yeah, reach, not a send. I tell people in the 10 to 15 split second faster range and you're trying to be specific precise you hold the same speed during those 10 and then you come back down to no slower than your base pace the first time i did that people had a fit because they'd never sat on a machine for 40 minutes before well it's funny you say that it's like one of the things drew always talks to you about when he pulls you to the gym he's like i don't know how you fucking did it chris but you somehow convinced our members to sit on a rower for 40 fucking minutes we could we've been doing this for 10 years we couldn't figure out how to do it but so after that first time in the same phase for that, the Thursday stuff, maybe the next week is you're doing three 15 minute rounds with a tiny little bit of break in between your total work times, 45 minutes, but then nobody bats an eye. They're like, I did 40 minutes last week. This is no problem. Yeah. Um, and then it took me a little bit. I think it probably took about a year, but I did program an hour and then it was, I remember it was a Thanksgiving. There was no official class. People came in on their own. And they did an hour on a machine. <laughs> so great. Yeah. And I said, RX plus plus, don't get off your machine once. RX plus, get off your machine once. RX, <laughs> get off your machine twice. Nobody got off their machine. You did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so like setting the perspective is sort of, I don't know, maybe like a good first step. And then, you know, you do it once and you realize, oh, it's not that bad. You have the fast little chunks every so often. It breaks it up mentally, physically. You're always going to recover over the three and a half minutes that you have before you go hard again. And I found, again, I really like it personally, and I think other people really like it too. You're just always in control. Something's always about to change pretty soon. So there's always just that little carrot 
right in front of you. And then if you pace it well, you get like, I don't know, 30 minutes in, 32 minutes in, you got eight minutes left. Suddenly you're like, whoa, wait a second. I have 2000 meters plus or minus left to go. And then maybe you can speed up and you're still in control. You've been going for 30 plus minutes and you're still have capacity to go faster as a base pace and then still hit that hard part just as hard. What's the what's the purpose of a training piece like that with like the 10 hard strokes? Yeah, I asked that because in my vast experience of reading the boys on the boat, they said that a couple times in the book. And I was Do like, they? that must be a rowing thing. And then you, I, I have seen that programmed every once in a while. But what's the. Yeah. Um, OK, so is just that like an energy system thing or a break up the monotony I could make thing up or a whole bunch of bullshit about right, what it could on. be. Yeah. But it's really just a way to do 40 minutes on a machine and not hate yourself. Perfect. Yeah, I people. mean, that's that's what that's <laughs> how that was the first iteration of fasted cardio, yeah. which has become Maffetone. And now people are just like, yeah, 45 minutes. That's easy. Like I'll yeah. sit on my bike. And before it was like 45 minutes, like, really? That's what we're going to. Yeah. And you're going to make me keep my heart rate low. And then we were like, <laughs> OK, every five minutes you can get off your bike and you can do five handstand push-ups and one push up. like yes this is the greatest training program in the history of the world and and now people are comfortable yeah. sitting on machines yeah. for extended periods more a little more to it than that um yeah i really like having to choose like a hard bit of work interspersed with that steady baseline i think there's some crossover there with crossfit yeah, style workouts say, right like, you know you go off on a run then you come back and you do some barbell crap and then you go off on another run sure. um can you finish your barbell nonsense and then be at the pace you want to run at the whole time knowing that you're going to more or less recover your heart rate halfway into that 400 yeah and then be fine to come back and do it again i mean when it's in that context it's pretty obvious it's mm. like okay what's your 20 minute AMRAP. So it's a 20 minute AMRAP. What's your 20 minute rowing pace or running pace, whatever yeah. it is. And here's a, here's a couple thrusters and pull-ups mixed in where you're going to jack your bit. heart rate up. And now you got to row or run and, and bring your heart rate back down enough to, or, or whatever, recover enough to get ready to do it again. Yeah. All right, everybody, a quick break in the show to talk about our singular show sponsor, Team Misfit. The best affiliate programming. You can head to teammisfit.com or the Sugar Water Marketplace for a two-week free trial. Now, a really common question we get from people who are inquiring about looking into affiliate programming is like, what separates Team Misfit from everything else out there? There are so many different programs. The thing I like to tell out those individuals looking for that programming is that we try to take every single detail into account in every single class that you teach. We're talking about things on how to write an effective warm-up what the scaling and modification should look like, what the logistics of your class should be like as you're setting things up and what target scores we should be looking for. So as coaches, you can go in and read that document and know what way to best deliver the most effective training stimulus for your athletes. Because again, the ultimate thing that decides whether or not people are going to keep coming back to your gym is if they keep getting fitter and having a good time. We are trying to make sure that is as easy as possible for you. So again, you can head to Team Misfit or the Sugar Marketplace to check out a two-week free trial of our team Misfit affiliate programming. All right, back to the show. What do you do? You think so? Kind of going with the so you've you've you had coached rowing for a long time. How, how, what was the overlap in rowing and cro CrossFit coaching? Sorry, um, I know that's kind of specific, but yeah, let me was it like a and lot? think about it real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we keep could call thinking it four years maybe. 
Okay, so it was a fairly yeah, sig- good, pretty good amount chunk of overlap. Of time. Yeah. Um, what? So after having mm. now the engine program is like three three years old, what have you? What are things that you have noticed as far as like athletes who have come in? Because we have a pretty good. We also tend to have a similar crop of folks pretty consistently at the engine classes. Like yeah. it's pretty good spread, but you get some consistent faces just like any other class. Um, what are some of the things that you have like learned and observed about CrossFitters or just, or just the people in general that you're just like, Oh, I didn't know that before. That was, this is like good information. And if, if it's changed anything about your coaching style, um, I don't think it's anything super different than kind of some stuff we've already talked about people. Like there's a lot of information that's on that screen, whatever machine you're using. Yeah. Um, I have a bias towards the C2 machines because that's the like ecosystem that I'm used to with rowing. Um, but even the assault bikes, air runner, whatever, tons of info. Um, it's easy to ignore most of that information. If you're just like, all right, I have to do 40 calories and you just kind of do it, but then you have all this other stuff that you want to do. Or you have a thousand meter we did or like Jackie, you got a thousand meters and like you just do it and then a thousand meters happens. You're like, all right, great. That's done. Moving on. I don't know what I just did. I feel kind of tired, maybe. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But being able to interpret all of that information and make that valuable to the individual. um, I've people have come up when they've taken some engine stuff for a while, or maybe we've done a machine specific cycle on rowing or skiing or whatever. Um, and then that turns up in a class setting and they're like, wow, this stuff that we did in engine class, I was able to pick a pace in this Metcon that we did. And it was, it was just like the perfect pace. I was able to do everything else exactly how I wanted. I felt more in control. Um, yeah, just like the tools are there. And it's right. just showing people how to use those tools to build confidence in what they're doing. Yeah. And in a, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's it's too, it's just taking an athlete's current fitness level and saying, like, how do we how do we optimize it? Yeah, get most right? from your like, fitness how do you level. get the most from it? Obviously, we're trying to constantly improve that. But at the end of the day, like you're going into a CrossFit workout, an open workout or just a regular affiliate workout. It's like you have no idea how to pace that you're that's just it's a it's such a hard lesson to well, learn. it's just you, funny we, we all smashed our head into the wall the first few years of crossfit like how much like was that useful maybe maybe not i mean like eight weeks ago we did a 5k row in class and yeah. that's not typically something that we throw in class a lot just because the logistics of trying to run you know a class of 20 Real people through a, to a 5k <laughs> but one thing i particularly noticed i coached that that day is that the members who had taken engine class were more consistent across the entire 5k oh, yeah, and knew exactly when exactly to speed up what they're going to do. And that was, it was fun for me to see because that's, that's typically kind of like the running joke as you're a coach and you have someone new that hops on the rower for the first time. You're like, all right, we're going to row a 5k. You've probably the longest you probably rode in class is like a 1k. So that's like four minutes. We're doing five times that amount. What pace do you think you should start at? And almost every single person early on starts what I would say is probably closer to their one or two K pace. And then quickly is at their 17 K pace yeah. because they just overextend themselves early on. And, you know, I had a couple of members afterwards be like, you know what? Like you said, we should be in this range of time. Like, how can we get there? And I'm like, 
Oh, engine class is a great, great <laughs> way to start. I don't know. How can you? Well, engine uh, class yeah. is a great you're way to start there. Distance, time. <laughs> but I was, <laughs> the, the biggest thing I said to them, I was like, how, how often have you done this? They're like, I'm like, never. I don't ever go this long. And I'm like, well, that's part of the problem here is you don't have that experience. One of the best ways to educate yourself is you have to put yourself up against it. So one of the questions I had for you is when you're developing the engine program for like a phase, for example, are there specific objectives that you think are like, like almost like base principles for things you're trying to accomplish in each phase. And then you're like, you know, first I need to get everybody really comfortable just being on a machine for a really long time. And then I need to know them, like know what their 10 minute paces and their five minute pace and their two minute paces are. Like, I'm just curious what you think. And if you were going like, to create like almost like a hierarchy of things you'd want to develop, if you want to take maybe this idea and put it into your community of things that you've kind of established and you know what you think are like base level for engine classes and kind of higher order things as you get more and more developed. Yeah. Um, I have many thoughts. I will Excellent. try to keep them organized. I probably will do a bad job. I've never done that before in my life. Never, so good luck. Never, ever. <laughs> um, so yeah, priority one, just getting people to do it. Be on the machine for long distance. And then part of that is we have all this information. You need to set the class up if you're going to teach it in a way that you can make that information valuable. Um, so what I do sometimes is I'll have people like call their shots for pacing. Uh, and I'll say, okay, so we've got these five intervals today. Your goal is to be as consistent as you can across all five intervals, pacing-wise, average pace. Um, but I want you to try to gently negative split. And then, because I'm such a nice guy, and because... I hear that about you quite often. Yeah, definitely. And because it's <laughs> like genuinely good enough, if you're trying hard enough, we like to call... We have an engine negative split. Whereas if you get the exact same split average, we still call that negative. Because you're more tired, right? Because it's not slower. T- tie goes to the runner. Not, yeah, tie goes yeah. to the runner. You're not you knew that. slower than you were. <laughs> it's not hockey. Um, <laughs> so you make people make that decision on their pace, and then they have to deal with the consequences. And either they're wrong, and they have to readjust, and I'm like, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Have that experience from the first interval. How can you reset for the next four intervals, pick new paces, and then still accomplish through two, three, four, five, consistent pacing going slightly faster as you go um so that's something probably like surface level maybe most important aside from just getting people to do it i think that creates buy-in as well coming back to control people like feeling in control when they're uncomfortable and in the end even if people love being like love working out a lot of it's like it sucks <laughs> like you're not wrong <laughs> so, like, <right>? so, <laughs> but if you're in control then you can handle the suck can deal with it and it's just like like yeah this is fine i know what's happening i know what's gonna happen it'll be hard that's okay um so getting people to have ownership over their very specific output um and i like to give ranges for expected speeds and then if like it's somebody who's come to the class a long time then i know them and i know what maybe they should be shooting for and i can give them a specific split number um but otherwise give people a range make them make a decision they have to own the decision whether it's a good one or a bad one and then they get to build off of that um i have now forgotten what your other questions were. Well, i was just the curious like the hierarchy i think it was really interesting <laughs> to you, you know, telling yeah. me like you know <laughs> step one is just getting to do it step yep. two is creating buy-in and creating a little bit of like you know confidence because you know yeah. what your line is and where where's too much and where's too little and then you know from there on it's like a little bit more of like personalization like yeah. hey you know, we've generally got you in the right like 
<laughs> ballpark when it comes to like where you need to be for this workout. And as you do this more and more often, like that ballpark almost yeah, shrinks and shrinks actually, and shrinks. Actually how I think about that pretty much. <clears throat> You've got like a really big wide range of performance, possibly somebody who's newer. They're a little careful. They're a little scared. Maybe they went out too fast and they hit their head on the wall too hard that one time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and they start off a little too slow. They're a little measured on that first interval at the start of the piece. And then they speed up a lot over the course of the interval because you get to the end and it's like, oh, well, I guess I'm almost done, you know, ready to go. I can work hard for a little bit. I'll be fine. I'll just be done. Um, And that really big spread of speed kind of indicates that like you left some fitness on the table there. You could have worked harder, been more uncomfortable through the middle, but your overall pace would have been faster. Um, yeah, people just have to learn to you be have able, to go there, right? You have, you have, to, go you have there. to go there. And then like the nuance there is important, right? Because like two split seconds plus or minus is like can make a really big difference in how you feel. Like uh we did Jackie Pro. Let's just say we just like, did Jackie. <laughs> just did Jackie Pro two seconds ago and our class version had to hold a one forty five. And like I'm a hundred percent confident I can hold a one forty five. But if I went out and I did a one forty three because I didn't know any better, I would have been yeah (laughs) guilty much much sadder going into those thrusters and like a 147 would have just like basically what i would do for regular jackie it's like a little faster Mm. and it just wouldn't have mattered that much yeah and i think one of the things that you i thought that you taught to our engine classes was that like effort versus split like curve and you're talking to athletes like listen you know it doesn't feel like a lot different to row a 147 versus a 145 but ask yourself this later in the workout if you have to put the barbell down one more time, is that two seconds? Yep. And they're like, no, it's not two seconds. It's 15 seconds. It's like, <laughs> yes. so was it worth going two seconds faster in split, <laughs> which gained you four overall seconds to then lose 15? And everybody like, I don't understand. It's like, all right, I am going to give you, <laughs> I'm going to give you $4. You give me $15. Who comes out ahead? Yeah. And like, oh, now I get it. Now <laughs> it makes math. some sense. Yeah. It's yeah. not multiplication. Math. Yeah, it's not multiplication. Help me, bud. One of the things I like to say with the classes that perhaps I don't have anyone new to the engine experience in is at the beginning of a longer workout, even a medium workout, I just say, don't be a jackass. It's like if you go out super hot, you go out super hot. That's true. You're an immature athlete. Like you're being a jackass. You know exactly how you're gonna feel in 60 seconds. Why are you doing that? Like, I'm happy for you and your adrenaline, but also, <laughs> like, maybe don't. Like, maybe bank some of that. Your adrenaline's also happy for you. Do you have any, <laughs> you have any uh, clever engine workouts to teach people that? I feel like that's probably a lesson you probably teach someone pretty pretty quickly in an engine workout. Like, have you had anybody that's come, like, bullheaded like that and just kind of push back so, over and over again? Not the name names, but... <laughs> I did this a lot when I was coaching high school rowing. Mm. Um, I would have particular on-land workouts where... Like one that I liked a lot, we do 12 500 meter intervals and we just, again, for logistics, it ended up being a little bit more than two to one rest because you'd have to share the machine with somebody. Oh, and fuck, God damn it. 12 by 500 with yeah. two to one rest. That's so no, fun. A little more than two. Well, so, I mean, people do this all the time, not to like shit on your joke, but no, um, <laughs> no it just sounds hard. Yeah, it sounds hard. <laughs> but like, what's the context? What's the perspective? Sure. Right. Yeah. So all of these kids, they have a 2K speed like 
the 2k is the number in rowing like you know it you know your average pace you know how long it took you that's like you're you live and die by that on land and on the water um their pacing is specific to each individual so they'd start off first interval 500 meters you're going to start off at again depending on kind of the level of the kids like maybe plus six seconds maybe plus five seconds from their 2k average and then every subsequent 500 meter interval you subtract one split second and the first four five six they're easy you're like what am i even doing one, here one tenth like one tenth of a second no, no one, one full, full split second. Oh, one full yeah, second. one full split second so you start at plus six the sixth or seventh one you're at your 2k pace right um and again the first few they're trivial like they do not matter really yeah um it's kind of like death by they just the first rounds just putting in volume right you're just, just you're just doing some stuff because yeah. that's how it works yeah um <laughs> but that's how it works <laughs> in order to make sure that these kids would not just kind of like throw away those early intervals i said listen if you go faster then you're very specific to the decimal pace that's your new baseline that we're working off you of. still need to keep going faster. you still need to go a second faster than that yeah. so let's say you know average oh high, you mean that 128 <laughs> you mean that 128 yeah, 500 exactly, to finish right? up is hard <laughs> so let's say you're supposed to be high school girls you're supposed to be at like a 205 to start you just kind of don't think and you do your first one out of 202 congratulations your second interval is now at a 201 when it should have been a 204 yeah and there's <laughs> consequences then yeah. for kind of phoning it in and not being really precise that's interesting track. so even on a workout like that which is six thousand total meters of rowing Right. So yes. Yep. Yep. You're that basing that off. That was multiplication. Yeah, I, I knew that one. That wasn't well, long. I was to, I that wasn't long. 12, multiplication. 12 by 500 <laughs> is. Um, fuck the multiplication threw off my question. Um, yeah, something to do with pacing. Oh, uh, like so. So it's 6000 meters of rowing. You were still basing that information off of a 2K. And that's just, yeah. just because that's the rowing metric if you're going to row for like an hour is that like are we still using yeah, 2k so, paces so or are we thanks this is a really uh, great thing to bring up there's yeah. this really cool tool i'm going to say it definitely works for rowing i'm not 100 percent sure if it works for skiing or the c2 bike but i think it's worth a shot to think of it this way okay uh, there's a rule where if you know your max effort pace for a particular distance or a particular time Let's use a 2K. And just because it's easy maths, we'll say it's yeah. a two-minute average, whatever. Um, if you're like, oh, man, I have this 10K that I need to do, what's my pace? Every time you double the distance or double the time, add five split seconds to your goal pace. Every time you have the distance or have the time, subtract five seconds. So you can kind of extrapolate out. You go oh, two to okay. four, four to eight, and then you add just a little bit on top. Mm. And suddenly you've got a 10K. Maybe it's like 11, 12 split seconds as a That's interesting. I've never heard that before. Over a 2K. It kind of breaks down when you get below 500 meters, I've found, just because yeah. certain just athletes are fast, which are slow twitch. Or, yeah. You're just getting yeah. into actual power versus endurance at that mm. point. But. Okay. So what. <sighs> Uh, I need to think about. I'm interested. Now it's interesting what you're going to come me. up with. 
Ted's going to have to edit out the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the blank space here because I've started my question that I forgot again. Fuck, I had a question for you too, but then I was listening to this one. I was curious how that went. Now, one. when you use I that, have you found question. that to be relatively universal for athletes in like engine class? Have you used yeah, that quite no, often? That's in- like a pretty commonly understood thing for rowing. So that's really interesting. So you could you could tell any athlete if you knew your roughly you knew your two K, you could start figuring out all these other yep. paces, which again is super yep. beneficial to like CrossFit because how often does a CrossFit workout include more than one single two K or you know a distance that's very yeah. long? So you said five hundred meters is about that point where it starts to break down. I don't like it for less than five hundred meters, especially for CrossFitters, because um, generally they don't have the capacity technique wise to continue to move well. They'll just kind of thrash and like maybe the number's big, maybe number's small, whatever. I don't know. I thought of my question. Huh? I did too. <laughs> oh, you want to go first? You're welcome. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I would like for you to discuss the damper setting. This is one of the mm. Uh, mm. 10, right? Always 10? Something, something that <laughs> every affiliate athlete, every coach, and potentially still currently do is like, I'm going to send this thing to a seven or God forbid a 10. And that's just what I row at. That's just what I'm comfortable rowing at. Oh, by the way, I'm five five, 145 pounds. <laughs> what can, can you can you discuss to the listeners a little bit about the damper setting? What you tell athletes as far as that goes, and maybe maybe more broadly, what like the rowing community kind of does. Yeah. So the damper setting, you can adjust how like quote unquote heavy the drive feels, um, and you can go into the options on the C2 machines and there's something called the drag factor. Right. And you can adjust the damper to be at the drag factor that you want it for. Like if you're on a rowing team, usually you have a particular drag factor that you're going to uh, do consistently for your particular work. Um, for CrossFit, kind of whatever. I don't think it matters too much, but people think that moving the damper up means they get to work harder and be faster. The analogy that I like to make is that moving the damper up makes it feel heavier, but like you still have to do the work. What it does do is let you get away with your shit technique because Mm. the flywheel decelerates so much that you just, you can just haul on it and it's going to feel heavy and your body's going to connect to itself because it has to, or you're going to explode. And people mistake that or, actually them being faster and it's the right choice when really it's a really tiny band-aid to cover up technical deficiencies that maybe they don't know exist or they just don't feel like dealing with it's the, in the endurance community it's like the your efficiency is what ultimately determines your success across whatever duration it is and yeah. people think of it's like how i used to use the analogy of like let me ask you this would wearing timberland boots be hard to run a mile and they'd be like yeah why would you wear timberland boots i'm like because that's the same as rowing on a 10. Like you're making this effort harder on yourself with little benefit. Yes, it's going to feel harder because you're wearing boots, but are you going to run at the same speed? Are you going to get the same output? Are you going to be able to go at that same consistent path the entire time? They're like, no, of course I wouldn't be like, and why would you think that jacking that up would do much for you? Now I'm sure you might have a, you know, a circumstance where it might be beneficial to play with that outside of like, you know, training for the sport of crew, you know, where there might be a chance for a higher damper to be done if it's really short or if you have a huge athlete. But like, I think the the PSA here is people need to understand that like putting it super high doesn't really do anything for you other than like you just said, allow you to be 
this big giant maybe ogre that can rip on it but yeah. has poor technique i mean there's certainly there's a non-zero increase in injury risk to your low back by making it heavy like that and if you're the sort of person who thinks i need that damper at a 10 you're probably also the sort of person who's not moving super well on that machine <laughs> um cut that for a soundbite that needs to be a soundbite that's replayed on every mountaintop in the world <laughs> just over echoes the, over the over the city-wide public public, right. public alert system <laughs> rowing yeah. on a 10 damper is covering up your inefficiencies yeah so i mean like we don't want people to see two bike at 65 rpm at an eight like it's dumb like it's not a good way to do cardiovascular exercise similar with rowing like again my bias from my decades ago rowing experience is i like to keep that thing right around three and a half or four and i just do that for everything and you are i am weight uh will round up to six feet tall you're definitely and, uh, six feet definitely, definitely that's definitely what my driver's license says so I'm five, nine. <laughs> uh in like 190 pounds okay. um but when i was rowing i was the same height and like probably like 170 pounds and it was still the same damper setting okay um yeah uh but like putting that up at a 10 it's like an assault bike now there's no technique really it's really limited it's always going to feel heavy congratulations if you try harder you're going to go faster but a rowing machine is not an assault bike a that's skier, like universal though if you try harder, you go not faster. an assault bike no. right so you have to learn how to finesse I don't know. One time at my last gym, I did a 10 K and I had the damper at all the way down and I just posted a photo of my average pace and I was like, this isn't super fast, but it also doesn't suck. And I was at a zero. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, maybe consider. Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you think for a CrossFitter, there is value at being comfortable at different damper settings for, for different reasons? So my like extraordinarily biased view is no, I think okay. like, what's the point? Yep. Um, I think you people, if they want to train and they want to get better, not just blindly fitter because they're trying hard for a certain amount of time, but like improving their technique, yep. they have to take a short term loss, perhaps an output, moving that damper to somewhere more reasonable right around that three, four We'll say five at the most just because i feel like most crossfit gyms just slap that thing at five because it's in the middle and that seems fine it's cool it's in the middle, it's in the middle. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing but in the middle is probably safe um you need to take that short-term l to build your technique and you're going to be slower and if that's frustrating it's because your technique is bad right and you haven't figured out how to move well and efficiently with that lower damper but if well, you're gonna hurt to hear some people and they're like, yeah. Oh, it's not the machine. It's, it's, it's me. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's the machine's but fault. You spend time there. You have to figure out how to make that thing move well. And then you will like, you're not going to just not get better at it by living at a lower damper setting, especially if you're not an especially big athlete, like in, yeah. in rowing, it obviously pays to be big, but in CrossFit, like there's pros and cons to it. But if you're a smaller athlete and you're not efficient, it's like, you're already at a deficit what are you just you're just going to keep digging downhill like yeah fuck. yeah i think it's so it's, i think it's easier to just have a number and anyone who thinks that they need to adjust it a little bit for different things i think they're probably trying too hard so it's not like, it's not like a huge like i guess what you're sort of getting is like an education educational piece well, yeah, to like think, going around i think, and I think around well, like it. a common a, a common question we'll get is like okay so we're rowing for calories let's say we're we're rowing a 
three rounds with 15 calories. It's a shorter workout. Is it worth it for me to to bump my damper up so that I can, you know, maybe get like that one calorie per pull or something like that? And it's like I, I'm in the same boat. I don't I don't really adjust my maybe maybe it'll go up a tiny bit if it's a really, really short workout where I know I'm going to intentionally row harder than like any maybe common metric would say that you should be rowing at but yeah. it's still not changing that much it's just it like, really isn't yeah. and i think the the calories to distance thing is like it's not not true but it's such a small difference that i don't think people's like feeling about how much it matters is appropriate their yeah. perception of how much their it changes their perception yeah. of how much it changes is too much mm. Yeah, so I had my other question was, you know, one of the things I think is unique about the engine class and then like if someone were to drop in and we were talking like all about this, like, hey, you're on machines, hey, you're on machines. One of the things I know you like to do every once in a while, similar, I think, in vain, but correct me if I'm wrong, is every once in a while you'll put more of like a low skill movement in addition to the machines. And I'm just curious if that's just because you want to break up the monotony or is that because you want to teach athletes like, hey, if you're not being posterior dominant on your rowing, it's going to mess up your ability to do step ups or something like that. So I'm just curious what your maybe reasoning was, because I've come to some engine classes sure. and you mix things like maybe some Russian kettlebell swings or some step ups Love or, you know, swings. some lower skill movements that definitely have a metabolic effect, but I'm just curious how that relates to what you do in engine yeah. class. So this summer, uh, since it's summertime in Maine and the weather <laughs> is mostly wonderful, mostly. Um, I make sure to do some outside running stuff because it's beautiful. The class is at seven 30 in the morning. It's like almost always the perfect temperature. Um, and one of the things that I did for one of the running phases was I had basically a big old, posterior chain it's not even a pre-exhaust really people probably felt it was a pre-exhaust but we do running intervals but at the beginning of each running interval it would start with some set of kettlebell swings maybe there are some goblet squats with the same kettlebell too um and the idea being runners especially but most people also tend to use just a lot of quad for everything um and if you're doing it right fitters especially well yeah sure (laughs) um and so hamstrings and glutes, they kind of get left behind. People, if they've ever used an air runner, you have to pull that tread and it forces you to use your hamstrings a lot more. And I love it. Um, but what I wanted to try to show people with this, with this class is what if we could do what you thought was going to be tiring work that would limit your ability to run fast? What if actually doing that primed those go muscles in such a way that even though you felt tired your capacity to be quick went up and so like for that trying to there's a little bit of like a, oh well maybe this will surprise you well maybe if you activate something you'll actually perform yeah, better right? yeah um and i like certainly anecdotally for me um i the last time i ran the fastest mile i've ever run was after like a 10 to one kettlebell swings and goblet squat workout. Hmm. Yeah. Like it's just That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like the reverse engineering of the PAP training that we have. And we like to use both sure. with misfit and team misfit yeah. is like, you know, one of the things that happens with an athlete as they get themselves through a working set of back squats, let's call it, you know, for argument's sake, six by three is as an athlete fatigues, they begin to go slower and slower. So they produce less and less force. So we, you know, do things like a Russian kettlebell swing or an explosive box jump or a hug a medicine ball and jump as high as you can to try to elicit more adaptation. And it sounds like it actually would work potentially 
in reverse as well. Maybe we could get an athlete doing something explosive and then go into their set because that primes them to move that, you know, barbell mm. faster. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So like the running kettlebell swing stuff, that's all, that's like me projecting a little bit of <clears throat> maybe you take a class and you do 30 seconds of glute activation. Really activated? Probably mm. not. Like if you don't feel pretty tired, like if there's not significant fatigue, like you really haven't activated that stuff. Um, so that's just going like way over the top with it and then still trying to get people to have a similar response to it. But Thanks. otherwise, yeah, I'll do like strict pull-ups or something or um, push-ups. And that'll be, again, because I think those are valuable to work on and then I can get people to sneakily do maybe like 40 to 60 strict pull-ups in a workout. Um, but then also it breaks up the monotony perhaps of what would otherwise be just you chilling on a machine forever. Mm. I have another question. Yeah, go for it. yeah go so ahead. one of the things I think is unique about what you bring, you know, maybe just outside of engine alone, but just to our, our coaching staff as a, as a totality here is like this desire to see things done the right way. And I think that's one of the things that I thought we didn't get to it in your intro, like, you know, your background is, but you told us when you first got here that you kind of sampled around the local area and you're just like, I'm looking for the right home for you. And one of the things that resonated with you was, well, how things were done here, maybe as opposed to, you know, differently from the communities around us. And I'm just curious, like, if there's anything in your background or why that type of thing resonates with you so much, because, you know, Hunter and I appreciate it a bunch because we're always talking to our athletes like virtuosity, move better, do less better, do less better, do less better. And, you know, to have someone come in completely from outside our community to happen on our doorstep and then eventually become a coach here, like to have that be part of who you are is so refreshing because, again, know we want to balance the classes are fun there's a good community here but also like here's the standard you have to adhere to if you're coming here because we know this is going to get you the most optimal adaptation and make you the happiest and healthiest person for the long term so i'm just curious if there's anything in your background that resonates with you is like why maybe you are the way that you are and then, like, not like a negative way at all <laughs> but like a positive way wow i hate everything <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a pretty loaded question, but I just something I, I've always I thought was interesting about you, yeah, what you bring to the community. Let me tell you why I am the way that I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Holy shit. Um, I guess I was just one of those kids who was, yeah, we're getting back to kids because that's a big question. Um, it just seemed like for a lot of things, there's like a lot of gray area in life just mm. all the time. Tons of gray area. Sometimes there are moments in life that are not gray areas. Like there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I think for whatever reason, I just really gave a shit about that. And for better or for worse, <laughs> yeah. um, like became a you know big part of my personality. I think I've mellowed a bit in my uh, old age as a mid 30 year old um, my, my sunset years but it's just like if you know that there is and I think you have to I'm going to qualify this you have to be confident enough that something is correct so you can't just hear somebody say like this is the right way to do it and you'd be like yep okay I will forever do it this way without thinking about it I think I try to take that in and then I think about why. And I try to come from the bottom up to why that's the right way to do it. 
And if I can convince myself that there's a compelling reason that something's the right way to do it, and in a CrossFit or a fitness context, it's usually going to be performance or safety or long-term efficacy of movement. Um, that's going to matter a lot to me. And to me, it's like, you know the right way. Why Which are you deciding you know not the to, wrong way? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then why are you deciding to be bad? <laughs> Fair. Um, and I think like part of what's really fun for me about CrossFit is like finding these small bits of efficiency or technique or skill. Like anytime I hurt myself and I go to PT, I learn <laughs> stuff and I think that's sick, even though I'm hurt. Um, the jobs I've worked at in a, like a fitness capacity, I learn stuff and the stuff that I really like, I just keep and I use it. And I feel like it adds to my understanding of how everything goes. Um, and if I can one improve my own competitive standing when I do the open once a year, because I'm not incredibly fit, but I do think I move pretty well for the most part. And that covers up a lot of my fitness flaws. Um, it helps in that regard, but then also it's fun for me. Try to make it fun for you to understand why. I think that's a good, that's a good point for like any coach listening to is like, okay, regardless of whether or not you're this, you have the same, like, let's say personality type, there is the underlying desire from athletes in particular to understand kind of the why in order to develop that buy-in. And if you are going to communicate that as the coach to an athlete, you better be one confident in what you're saying and two confident in what you're saying that it's correct. Mm. And, and if, and if you do have the athlete, I like, I would guess that you might, maybe you were the athlete who was like, Hey, why are we doing it like this versus like that? Or I was taught like the, I I'm in the, I'm the same way. I'm like, yeah. I, I'm not saying what, when like, I was I'm younger, I was a do- real shit. Like yeah. if I didn't like <laughs> the reason for what you were telling me to do, like, I would do the opposite in spite. I wouldn't do the opposite in spite, but I would like, oh, I would <laughs> grimace a little bit. We talked about that last podcast. Probably be yeah. outwardly sad Sherb's, about it. Sherb. I feel like Sherb and Ted are like the, do the opposite. Actually, Sherb, Ted, Andrew are probably the, <laughs> Hey, you tell me to do something. I'm I don't deliberately do, do the opposite yeah, as hard yeah. as I possibly can. <laughs> Show you. you tell I, me I'm more do. like in your line. I'm just like, I'm going to squint a little bit and I'm probably just not going to like you. And then I, I just won't do it again. Like, yeah, you know, but, um, Okay, kind of kind of wrapping up. Last question set is <laughs> so you've got so you've got listeners who are now like fuck, that would be cool if we had an engine program at our gym. How would you what would you tell a coach or a gym owner or a head coach manager whatever like how do you get started in building like a supplemental CrossFit class in onto your uh under your program, huh? You can sign up for Team Misfit. Yeah, we just need to get that engine track on there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, like, write out a couple phases of engine workouts just so you can get a sense of where you want it to go. Um, I think why the class was successful in the first place was I had a sense of pretty much exactly what I want from people. In direction. In direction. And, again, it creates buy-in. People know there's a path, and they know where the path is leading them. And I think that's really valuable. Um, If you have someone on your staff who can provide nuanced insight onto this stuff that Mm -hmm. is often just sort of like, we're going to like learn just Jackie again, 
we're going to practice pull-ups and we're going to talk about thruster efficiency three two one go by the way you also have to row yeah if you have somebody who can do that and talk about rowing or running or whatever on more than a superficial level again you're just creating buy-in people who come to those classes they think that they're getting something special because they are but they're they're getting something that people who don't go to those classes aren't getting. Yeah. I'll say whatever forever changed me. And this is like in terms of like rowing, because I don't consider myself to have great form in anything. I'm more the like try really hard kind of guy. And like my, that'll be a bandaid for some movement inefficiencies and that I have some special limitations in my, uh, so my capacity. And small I took an engine class with you. This is probably about six months ago and it was a rowing day. And you're like, yeah, so your ankles don't bend. So why don't you try this with the foot straps? And you had me move the foot straps down to improve the geom- the geometry of my body when I'm on the rowing machine. And I was just like, no, nah, like I've never ever put the foot straps that low. Like I don't have like a size twelve thousand like shoe. One of correct things so is when word? people say no about rowing stuff when yeah. I tell them. <laughs> and again, I, hopefully I was I didn't say no to you. I hope I was more receptive. But it was just like a, such a weird thing to me to think about. It's like, why would that help me? And then you explain it to me. And that that to me is one of the big like nuances you were just talking about with rowing that I was like, holy shit, like I've been doing CrossFit for uh, like 10 or 11 years at this point and I've never heard that before. Literally no one ever has said that to me. Like, hey, because your ankles don't bend and your like catch position on the rowing machine is suboptimal because you're further away from the you know flywheel. You're going to have a shorter stroke and be less powerful if you make this one change, which is literally nothing more than slotting the footsteps two settings. More work, yeah. Yeah, like nothing else changed. It's not like you know this dramatic fix other than moving footsteps down like two settings. You'll be in a better position. You'll be a better rower. Like ever since then, it's like something I think about every single time. It's like I don't have bendy angles, so Sick. I have to fix this. So again, that to me is a great example of the nuance in what you provide that maybe is missed in a lot of other classes. Yeah. And I think even if you, maybe you don't have anyone who's confident in providing that little bit of nuance, maybe there's like, what is it? The Dunning-Kruger effect. You have mm. people who don't know anything on one end of the curve and their knowledge level is zero, right? Yeah. And then you have people who are halfway on the curve and they think their knowledge level is top, but it's not yet. They actually don't know anything really. They're, they're they just have enough a, to be dangerous. They know just <laughs> enough to be dangerous. And then you got the people That's who me. actually are like, subject matter experts and they're like oh man there's a lot i don't know um but if you have people who are like (laughs) or if you don't have anyone who's on the who's confident enough to know what they don't know um you can still set up again like a program and if you provide people with like here are some goal ranges for speeds even that like i bet anyone can just say here are your goal ranges for running splits just guess them and then see how it goes the first time. And then maybe you refine that number for the next class. And then like just that is just so much buy-in. It makes people have an understanding that they didn't have previously. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. I mean, if an, if a gym was looking for an offering that feels off the cuff, I'd feel like most of them want to go with the Olympic lifting or maybe they do a yoga class or something like that. And those things are all great. Like teaching an athlete how to move around a barbell is an awesome opportunity. Teaching most people their mobility is trash and they need to get better at it. It's a great reason for that. But you know, <laughs> if there, if there was like one thing that I think most people could potentially put into their programming at their gym and have the most profound effect and have essentially more confident, which means more happy and healthier athletes. I can't think of a better way, which again, is not really a question. It's more like a final thought on like why someone would want to do it. Um, 
I, I think an engine class makes a lot of sense. And it's one of those things where, you know, if, if we had the ability to get you here seven days a week and you were willing to do that seven days a week, I think most people would benefit from that style of class. So, you know, maybe it is time that team misfit gets an engine track on the other programming here, <laughs> but we'll see. But, um, I, I think that for listeners out there, if you're looking for kind of like almost like a low hanging fruit for improving the fitness of your community and building a more well-educated and well-rounded group, the, the engine might be the, you know, best path to go. And I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts in terms of like, I know it's our topic for today, but could you think of anything else that maybe would have that s- such a profound effect relative to the other things that already are done in the CrossFit gym? I think it's probably, it's largely demographic based, right? Depends on what you get a, you got a, a Southern California CrossFit gym, which is, you know, mostly, you know, kind of middle-aged moms. It's like, yeah, maybe engine or yoga class might sound a little bit more appealing. So I, I think it probably depends on what context you're you're in. But yeah, I think the if we're talking about solely about CrossFit and and kind of trying to co- combine the improvement in fitness performance and like I guess athlete IQ, like 100. percent There's no no way that there's another style of class that would benefit athletes more. You just don't, we just, the, the CrossFit programming as a whole in order to maintain that variance is it's just difficult to, especially within the one hour class, like how, how often can we get a 10 K row in or something like that? Or 12 by 500 meters. It's like we could, we, we try to make that work, but at the end of the day, getting athletes comfortable for really long periods of time on, you know, a monotonous machine and then trying to extract data from it is is super valuable. I think my trying to give you time for your final thoughts. I didn't spring it on you. Um, <laughs> Andrew, the guest. My my final thoughts, I think, are less related to the the rowing specifically, and more the um, kind of the last little points that we hit is that if you are if you are a coach trying to improve the quality of your your classes, your gym, the the maybe maybe you are looking to add an additional class i think there's a if you if you are coaching a program that you do not understand you're not coaching it you're 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 blowing a whistle um reading a whiteboard and, yeah you're re- reading a whiteboard and we i think we talked about this a little last podcast but there has to be and it doesn't need to be you don't need the the master's degree in exercise science like like sherp has with the me. athletic training background <laughs> um you like you have to be a student of the game again another topic that we've talked a lot about recently and that i, I think the having that underlying base of knowledge and being able to communicate it to athletes when necessary. It's not always about just talking and showing athletes or telling athletes exactly how much, you know, it's when that opportunity presents itself, you can provide that information about the program or the the class that you're teaching and you do get that buy-in and you get that commitment and then athletes see results and that's the positive feedback loop. Cool. <laughs> um, my final thoughts. Um, so I'll say that the, this gym and then the last one that I was a part of in Seattle, they had a, I don't remember what it was called, but it was basically like an engine type class. Mm-hmm. Um, very different gyms, very different populations. Yep. Um, both gyms really liked an engine class. I think there is, you just got to do it. Like you build it and they will come. Yeah. Um, there are people who maybe they don't want to like power snatch 60 times in a workout because they got crap shoulders and it makes them feel terrible every time. But if they can come to an engine class and we never go overhead, 
they still get their fitness in, there's going to be like a sliver of your demographic that's going to stay members. That's a really good point. Yeah. Just because you have this option. And then there's going to be a big chunk of your membership that gets a lot out of it because you can't have every CrossFit class be 40 minutes of monostructural. We might. Don't try me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. it. (laughs) So I think, yeah, you just, you just got to go for it and do it and have somebody who wants to take it on. I think, you know, that was, I wanted to take it on here and started doing the programming for it. And it makes it easy to have opinions and like what you do. If you can control that. I think it's important that, you know, you have a diverse community at your affiliate. You know, not everyone's just a copy of a copy of a copy that you have people from diverse backgrounds and that people gravitate towards, you know, maybe things that they're really passionate about and they want to help other people, you know, adopt some of the philosophies or, you know, gain some of the insight or gain some of the fitness that you can provide there. So, you know, we've had coach Mark on before and he's talking about, you know, Olympic weightlifting is kind of his passion there. And he tries to make sure that when he delivers at the class, like he gives them a level of nuance they don't have before. So, you know, if you're a coach out there and you're looking for, you know, what, what can I bring to the table? Maybe don't look to the people in your community that's you coach with every day and go, what do they do? Well, can I do the exact same thing? Go, what is missing from this community that I could bring there? And I think that's, you know, more or less what you just described in your kind of closing thoughts there is what I think is another really special layer to the engine class is there are people who really love CrossFit, but certain movements just give them just piss off parts of their body that they, you know, unfortunately, because they worked at a desk for 40 years, they're not going to be able to fix in a, you know, six months of CrossFit. Like we're going to obviously want to encourage them to continue to do some of those things, but maybe the reduced capacity of doing those things allows them to then go to a class that doesn't ask those body parts to get stressed in a certain way. And they still get a good you know level of fitness can still come to Misfit Gym Portland and be a part of the community, but they're not like, you know, um, I did snatches on Wednesday and I'll see you in two weeks. I think we did it. I think we did. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to a very special edition of the uh, Coaches Misfit Athletics podcast. Chris, thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I very fruitful conversation. And uh, being able to talk. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. All right, ladies Great. and gents, if you like what you heard, don't forget you can sign up for the individual programming, misfitathletics.com uh, or the Sugarwad Marketplace for a free two-week trial and Team Misfit Affiliate Programming also on the Sugarwad Marketplace and at teammisfit.com. We give you guys all those details. We were talking about having that underlying base of knowledge when you're coaching a class. We try to provide that with you guys since we're the ones writing the program, but you are the ones providing it to your athletes. We want you to have all the information that our coaches have so that you can communicate that. You can communicate the why to your athletes so they can get the most out of the program that you guys are running at your gym. All right. Thanks for listening. 